Uh, this morning, I want to talk to you. Uh, if you'll take your Bibles this morning, open to Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah 45. The Bible has 66 books. 66 books of these. The book of Isaiah has 66 chapters. A coincidence? Some people have gone to as far to say that the, uh, the book of Isaiah is uh, like a mini Bible. Uh, while the first 39 chapters of Isaiah focus on God's judgments, the Old Testament has 39 chapters. The next 27 chapters uh, are largely in Isaiah the works of com- words of comfort and hope for God's people. The New Testament has 27 chapters. All those, those things are really interesting in comparison. The meat of the book of Isaiah is the specific and amazing words that God has put in the book. You may have read through Isaiah chapter 45 when you're doing your, your read through the Bible. And you may have gotten to Isaiah 45 and just started reading and, and understood what it said. <clears throat> but without a clear understanding of the background of Isaiah chapter 45, you're not going to know exactly what it said. You might just skim through it or read through it and say, yeah, 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 yeah. In Isaiah 45, let's see if this works this morning. It does. In Isaiah 45, the first two verses say this. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, to subdue the nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings, to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break into pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. And I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob my servant sate and Israel mine elect, I have even called thee by thy name, I have surnamed thee, though thou hast not, hast, hast not known me. The Bible speaks of the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places. Why? So that we can know the Lord. So that we can know God. It, it's my desire that today you can know God. That you can really know God. Verse 5. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I form the light and create the darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Notice that expression in verse 7. I form the light and create darkness. I create darkness. As you read through the 45th chapter of Isaiah, every time you see the word I, you are going to discover that it's referring to God, the glory of God, the greatness of God. This chapter, Isaiah 45, declares to us what God is doing and what God is going to do in the course of human history. And the Lord says, I will give thee treasures of darkness. There are times in life when we know we're in darkness. Of course, I'm not speaking about the light of day. I'm not talking about overcast skies. 
I'm not talking about the dark of night, but I'm talking about those times that we're so overwhelmed that we can't seem to find our way. And we've all been there. These are moments that we seem to be without guidance. We can't understand what has happened. We, we stagger, we, we grope about as we look for answers. God tells us that he will give us the treasures of darkness. In the midst of darkness, our God's going to reveal treasures to us. Under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah records for us the things that God revealed to him. He tells us about the Babylonian captivity of Judah and also about, about the ultimate deliverance from Babylon. Now, I love history. I love studying history. It's my favorite subject to teach. I love history. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a reading teacher. I'm a writing teacher. Um, my degree is, I've got a degree specifically in science. I hate math. I told my principal, there's three reasons I don't want you to let me teach math. <laughs> she understood, and we continued. But I love teaching history, and I love experiencing history and reading about history. And, and to understand Isaiah 45, you need to understand that Babylon uh, attacked Jerusalem three times, the city of Jerusalem, three times. Uh, in the first siege, in about 605 B.C., that was, the, that was when Daniel was taken. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar took captives. He took souvenirs from the temple of God, put put those souvenirs in his own temple, according to 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 7. Re remember the book of Daniel, where Daniel and his companions were carried from their homeland to the strange land, where they purposed in their heart that they would not defile themselves? That's that first siege of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar returned a second time. He pillaged the temple. He took anything that was left in the temple anything of value, and took it back to Babylon. Then they turned to the people. They took over 1,000 captives. The majority of the people left, 10,000 captives, over, over the majority of people that were left in Jerusalem, including Ezekiel, they all went back to Babylon. Approximately 11 years later, the king of Babylon returned for the third time. This time he destroyed completely the temple, wiped out the remnant of the city completely, burned it down, killed anyone that was left in Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us in 2 Chronicles 36, 20, that anyone that escaped the sword was carried away to Babylon. Jerusalem was what left a desolate wasteland on that third captivity. That was a dark, dark time for the Jews. That was a period of darkness. God tells us that his people would be in a land of captivity captivity in Babylon for a certain period of time, that exact time that they refused to obey him and do what he commanded them to do. That many years was exactly the amount of time that he said they would be in captivity. And Isaiah was that prophet of God who prophesies about a man named Cyrus who would arise and declare the deliverance of the Jews. We, we meet Cyrus on the pages of human history. He was uh, about 150 years after Isaiah is gone, he's the military chief over one Persian tribe. He fights battle after battle and wins victory after victory until he finally stands with his army at the gates of Babylon, demanding that the king of Babylon surrender. Look at the timeline here. 150 years after the prophecy. 
the king of Babylon was told to surrender. Of course, he does not surrender. The walls here of Babylon were considered so fortified that they could never be penetrated. But when we read the story in the Bible, we find that Cyrus diverted the river that surrounded this great city of Babylon. He marched his army of the Medes and the Persians on the riverbed beneath the walls to the gates that were barred and went right through them. Daniel chapter 5 verse 30 tells us it was in that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain. The king of Babylon had been weighed in the balances and had been found wanting. The king of Babylon made a feast with a, a thousand lords and drank wine for, right in front of them and, and with them. He, he dared to take the golden vessels that they had captured from the temple, bring those vessels, and he drank wine out of those. He drank in a drunken stupor. He mocked God. He mocked the things of God. And in the middle of all this, we know the story, suddenly there appeared a hand on the wall. And the king saw the fingers of a man's hand writing. So in fear, the Bible tells us, he called his astrologers, his soothsayers to come, read what was written. No one could tell the king what those words meant. So somebody then recommended Daniel from the first captivity. That same Daniel that had been carried away from the captivity, that first see Jerusalem, now an older man, nearing the end of his time in captivity, this statesman, this man of God, who was untainted by all the things of Babylon, brought into that drunken party. And Daniel read what the God had written to the king. God had weighed the king, found him wanting, and the word of God says, in that night, Belshazzar the king was slain. This passage in Isaiah foretells all those events. He even calls Cyrus by name 150 years before it happened. Does that give you goosebumps? 150 years before he was even born, God names him by name. He covers every part of his life. He takes us through the career of Cyrus, telling about his raising up an army that did not exist and a people who did not exist. He, he tells how Cyrus is going to come to the walls of Babylon and the bars made of iron, it says, and how he's going to be able to penetrate them. God gives us the whole picture with details. God also tells us that he's going to give Cyrus an, a man he appointed a man he prepared for this task, treasures of darkness. God goes on to explain that, that God creates darkness, meaning that he uh, allows the time of turmoil and confusion in life. This, this does not mean that God created sin. It does not mean he, he makes it so you sin. The darkness and evil are a result of sin. There'd be no hurt, there'd be no harm in this world if there was no sin. But because of sin, because of lust, because of selfish desire, there's hurt, there's heartache, there's wreck, there's ruin in this world. And even for Christians, God allows these periods of darkness. And in these periods of darkness, the Lord leads us to find the treasures of darkness. It appears that the Lord God is speaking of showing Cyrus things that could not be found without divine aid. This is a prophecy of the time, 150 years later, 
when the city of Babylon would be penetrated by this invading army and they would overthrow Babylon. God reveals that when the army goes in, he will show them treasures. He says in Isaiah 45, 3, look at verse 3. Well, go back. It says, and I will give thee treasures of darkness. They cannot be found without God. When we, when we are going through periods of darkness, when we're going through times of trial and testing, we need by faith to trust God and allow him to point the way to the treasures that can be found in darkness. Romans chapter 11.33 says this. I love this verse. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. God says that his ways are past finding out. No man, nobody, not even our preacher, not even the best missionary in the world, not even the person that wrote Romans can fully comprehend everything God is doing. The Bible says that what God does, he does with wisdom and knowledge. Our God has an absolute, complete knowledge of the past, present, and future. We operate from hindsight and things we've learned. That's how we learn from things that have happened to us. Our God operates not only from hindsight, but from foresight. What's coming? Because he has that perfect view of everything in the future. 150 years before Cyrus is even born. 150 years before anybody even thought of a person named Cyrus. God tells us his name and exactly what he's going to do. God tells us how Cyrus is going to deliver God's people from bondage in the land of Babylon so that they might return to the land of promise. There in that land of promise, as you remember, his son would be born of, of a virgin in Bethlehem and go to the cross to redeem our souls through his death burial, and resurrection. God declares that everything that's going to take place, he knows. What a God we have. How great is God? Remember this story in the Bible. When, we, when, we, when, when things don't fall into place like we think they should, when we start going through those times of darkness, when things don't go the way you imagine they should go, God gives us treasures of darkness. Philippians 1.12. Paul wrote this. Look what he says. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me, remember what happened to Paul? He makes a list of them in other places. The beatings, the prisons, the shipwrecks, the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Paul says that all the troubles that came to me we're happening for the furtherance of the gospel. People are going to be saved. Great work done for the Lord because Paul went through those times of darkness. God's, God's still working in our lives the same way. As I, as I read this part in Isaiah, um, I, I started reflecting on my own life. Some of the things that God has done in my life, some of the things that this passage, when I read it, reminded me of how great God is. What a wonderful God we serve. And I actually came up with four reminders about God. And if you want to write these down this morning, I had six. I'm just going to go with four. Because you don't want to be here till 1130. Because I've got a wrestling meet to watch here. First of all, 
we need to remember that our God never changes. Our God never changes. Do not doubt God's goodness in a time of darkness. The Bible declared that the people of God would go into captivity. Where was God when he declared that? He was there. The Babylonians came in. They grabbed a a group of people, including Daniel. Second time, grabbed all the rest. Third time, killed all those people. Where was God when they were taken into captivity? He was there. He didn't change. Where will God be when they're in captivity in Babylon? In a strange land. He's there. He doesn't change. He's always the same. I love Psalm 107. This is, these are verses to memorize. Look at Psalm 107, the first verse. It says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. God is good. When? All the time. You ever, you ever do that in church when somebody says, God is good, you say? All the time. It's a reminder that God is good. Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. In this psalm, God, the psalmist continues. He doesn't stop here, but he begins to tell people how God responds to people in time of trouble. Look at verse 6. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Verse 13. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. Look at verse 19. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saveth them out of their distresses. Verse 28. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. Four different occasions in the psalm, God tells us that the people were in trouble. They were in distress. They cried unto God, and the Lord delivered them. In the middle of your distresses, in the middle of your trouble, never forget that the mercy of the Lord endureth forever. God never changes. He doesn't change us. Verse 2 of Psalm 107 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So. Whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Our circumstances change. But God never changes. He's always a good God. We, we have a habit sometimes is somebody says, how are you doing? And you said, well, God's been good to me lately. We, we need to break ourselves of that habit because God is good to us in the past. He's always been. He is right now, and he always will be good to us. Never doubt the goodness of God. The, the devil wants to blind us to the goodness of God because it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. We should not be blinded by the goodness of God. God is always the same. Do not doubt the Lord's goodness in time of darkness because God never changes. Number two, second thing God reminded me of this. Not only does God never change. Number two, our God is always at work. Our God is always at work. We need to, as Christians, look for the Lord. Look for the Lord. If you see the hand of the Lord in your life, 
that's going to change you. If you come to the realization that everything that happens to you is from God, that changes you. You look at things differently. We need to look beyond all those secondary causes and see what God is doing. It was five years ago this February. Five years ago this month. It's still February, right? Yeah, okay. That I sensed the Lord calling me to leave Michigan to come to Florida. Now, we'd been to Florida before. It's a great place to vacation. But to live? How can you stand the summer heat? Oh. And when God called me to Florida, I raised my hand. Not in surrender, but hey, wait, God, excuse me. Uh, don't you see what's going on in my life right now? I can't pick up everything and move to Florida. I, I don't know a soul there. I have my family here. I have a church here. I have a great job here. And so I literally made a list on my cell phone of things that I, reasons that I knew I, God was not calling me to Florida. At the top of that list, well, first of all, we, going from two incomes to one income with double the expenses, that was impossible. One of the things at the top of that list was a car payment. My wife had just bought a brand new car. And we got a good deal on it, so the car payment wasn't extreme, but it was $500 a month. And that was $500 a month that if we moved to Florida, there was no way I could afford. And so that was number one on my list. I am not going to be able to pay a $500 car payment when we get to Florida. I, I can't make a car payment at all. It's, it's just not going to happen. We cannot uh, live uh, half, the, half the expenses on, on uh, double expenses on, on half the income. It's not going to work. And I remember making this list, and it was about a week later, I was, I was pulling into our church for Sunday school, to teach Sunday school class, which, which was one of my responsibilities at my great church up there. And it was wintertime, and I went to turn right, and I looked in my side mirror, and I saw a big SUV that was trying to pass everybody on the right, and he T-boned my car, flipped it in the ditch right in front of the church. Um, all the airbags went off. I, I, I was bleeding internally a little bit, and I hurt my hand, and I went to the hospital, and when I got home and, well, I called my wife from the hospital and said, I've been in a car accident. I'm in the hospital. She goes, is my car okay? <sighs> That's why she's still in Michigan right now. And I know. Um, yeah, yeah it's, our relationship is stronger now. Um, and uh, the car was totaled. Car, a brand new car totaled. And you know what happens when you drive a car off the lot. So now we owe a lot more. And um, I, the insurance company called me on Monday because they knew. Um, and they said, hey, listen, you've been such a great customer. We last year plugged you a new, new program that credits you the full amount and upgrades you to a newer year and takes 10,000 miles off the car. So basically, I got more money back than the car was even worth. Enough to buy another car without any payments. And suddenly that $500 dollar car payment that I was so concerned about was gone. God is always at work. What was seemed to be a period of darkness for a moment, God knew. We read in the book of Jonah. You read the book of Jonah, that Jonah the prophet, he's taken by the sailors and he's thrown overboard. When, when Jonah was in the belly of the whale, then he cries out to God. Look what he says. Thou hast cast me into the deep. Well, wait a minute. I thought the soldiers in chapter, the sailors in chapter one threw him overboard. And now he's saying God threw him over? Which is it? Which one is the truth? 
The truth is that Jonah looked beyond his secondary causes and saw God's hand in the matter. Do you see God's hand in your life? We must understand that God loves us and that he's always at work in our lives. We love Christ because he first loved us. When you experience that love of God, your heart is stirred to love him and return to serve him. By faith, every day, see God's hand in your life. All things. You mean I've got to sit through two lights? That's God's hand in your life. You don't know if there's not a motorcycle down the road that would have run into you. We don't know. You mean I've got to stand at Walmart in 30 people just to use the self-checkout line? That's God's hand in your life. There's people around you that may need Christ. We've got to see God's hand at work because he's always at work. Number three, our God's work comprehends all history. Our God's work comprehends all history. Isn't it awesome knowing that God's work is not confined to one time period? It, it, it wasn't confined to Isaiah. It wasn't confined to Cyrus's day. It wasn't confined to the disciples and Jesus on earth. It comprehends all of human history. In the 45th chapter of Isaiah, God shows us that all of history is in his hands. He was working in Isaiah's day. He was working in Cyrus's day. And he's still working in Paul Chilson's day today. God's at work in all of history. One, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph, how Joseph's brothers hated him and they captured him and they sold him to, into slavery and he ended up as a slave in Egypt. And then the Bible tells us later on that Joseph revealed himself to his brothers and he was even able to have his father move to Egypt when, when Egypt became the breadbasket for the whole world. And then when he revealed himself to his brothers, Joseph, now the second in command of Egypt, says this in Genesis 45.5. He says, Now therefore to his brothers, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves. Ye, that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. God knew everything that was going to happen in history. He knew that Pharaoh would put Joseph, a slave, in charge of Egypt. He knew that there was an impending famine. He knew that the brothers would come to Egypt. God's work compre comprehends all of history. One of the excuses I gave God, because I, I didn't want to come to Florida, was my church. We had a great church in, in Cadillac. Uh, we actually were participants of starting the Faith Baptist Church in Cadillac, Michigan. I, I still remember the first service we were there. It was in the National Guard Armory. That first service had the pastor's family of four, five, my family of four, and one other lady. That was the church. We worked tirelessly serving the Lord to build his church, not ours, his and our final year there, that we were running close to 150 people. We had our own building. Um, we had started a bus ministry. I was teaching the adult Sunday school class. I was running the sound system, and that's literally because I was also leading songs. So that means if something had to change, I had to run back and then change it. Uh, what we may look at as a change or a travesty or a, tra a, tr a tragedy, we think, what a loss. But God looks at that same loss and says, what a gain. That church now has young, a young man that stepped up who was in the congregation when I was there who leads songs faithfully every week. There are two men now that work back in the sound booth. They even found somebody, I know it's hard to believe, who can teach Sunday school. 
A loss of one, a gain of four? We might not see things from God's perspective, but we know that God makes no mistakes. There's a darkness in life, and, and I want to find those treasures in darkness that God has provided. God's work comprehends all of history. Let me hit the last one here. Our God works out every detail. Our God works out every detail. God inspired Isaiah to write that when Cyrus was going to conquer Babylon, he would come to certain impregnable places. The Babylonians were going to sit back. They were going to party with a relaxed posture and say, hey, listen, I know the enemy's outside these gates, but the gates cannot be penetrated. These walls cannot come down. Isaiah 45, 1 and 2. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loin of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be shut. Can you imagine? God speaks of the exact two gates through which Cyrus's army is going to go. 150 years before, God tells everyone which two gates are going to come through. I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. God was saying when your armies march into the city and come to that place that you cannot go any further, that very moment you come to that obstacle, the very instant you think it cannot be done, I'm going to be there and I'm going to take care of every detail. My obstacle list for God was not done on my cell phone. I had crossed off two things. But I knew we were going to need a place to live here in Florida, in Bonita Springs. In one night, God gave me this church. I came in and saw Brother Zook singing, and I knew right away this was my place. Uh, Brother Tom invited me to dinner after church, and I had to respectfully decline because God was working in me that night, saying, this is your place. You need to, you need to lock this down. I even met my favorite realtor, Jim. Uh, for the first time before we even moved down here. But while Jim was searching for a house for us, I knew in my heart I didn't have a down payment. I knew I did not, uh, my, my simple math, um, I knew I needed about $25,000 for a down payment for a place. And uh, I couldn't even afford a pencil to write an IOU. And uh, the Lord somehow, miraculously, through, through, through a coincidence, brought to my mind a company called AXA. And, and I heard about it just in passing, and, and it sounded familiar to me. And, and I, didn't remember, I just remember hearing of this company called AXA before. So I went home to my wife. I said, have you heard of AXA? And she said, no, I haven't heard of that. I said, it just sounds familiar to me. And, and the next day, we got a letter in the mail from AXA. I was like, what is this? She goes, oh, these things, they've been coming every month. I don't know what they are. She said, I got a whole box of them in the closet. I've been saving since you stopped teaching in Jackson 20 years ago. She said, I got a box full of them. So I opened it up. Apparently, when I was first teaching in Jackson, I had made an investment in my seven years, and it had grown to about $5,000. And I opened the envelope, and that $5,000 investment was now worth $25,000. Why exactly that amount? Because God is in the details. God is in the details. It is so wonderful that, to know that God comes so near. He's so involved in our lives that he works with, he works out every detail of our lives. Isn't God good? All the time.
He never changes. He's always at work. He comprehends all of history. And he works out every detail. Why? Isaiah 45. I am the Lord. There is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, Cyrus, though thou hast not known me, that, thy, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. God is great. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for being so great to us. We, thankful, we are thankful and grateful that you are a part of our everyday lives, showing us how wonderful and great a God we serve. We pray, Father, you help us as we go through our, our week this week, as, that we look back at you and reflect on everything that you've done to bless us, how you're there all the time, and you have this all worked out for us, for our betterment. In your name we pray, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.